Welcome to the Miles Not Included podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Brian. Run with us as we talk training, racing, and everything in between. Welcome to episode 15. Today we talked to Brian about his race recap on St. Louis. And we've got a guest talking about his run-up to Boston. Let's talk to Brian. Brian, what's going on, man? Feeling good. Eh, actually, that's kind of a lie. I actually feel like garbage right now, but in a good way. You feel like garbage. So you're how far? You're just a day removed from finishing up St. Louis. So tell everyone how you did. Uh, better than I thought I would. I finished. So my A goal was to run just under three hours, and I ran a 255.38. Nice work. How'd the weather end up being for you then? Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, uh, it was overcast the entire day. The temperatures ranged from about 50 to about 60. And, you know, being overcast, and I mean not a lick of sun the entire day, nothing cracking through the clouds. So it was really a beautiful day. And actually early on, we even got a couple of sprinkles of rain. So it was about all you could ask for for a marathon. No, that's sweet. So uh, how was the course overall? I know we had kind of uh, tried to explore the best we could just looking at the map and trying to figure it out. Did it end up being as hilly as you expected, a little flatter, a little tougher? So it ended up overall being a little hillier than I expected. I was a little bit concerned going into it. So what I actually did was I knew that their elevation chart wasn't the greatest. So I made a little note of each mile approximately where the hills, where I figured the big hills would be, and I wrote them on my forearm, just so I would have an idea of how much was left ahead of me. So as the race started, the early hills were very gentle. You ended up climbing quite a bit, but they were over a long distance. For example, going up to the bridge was a gentle incline. You got to the bridge itself, and it was flat as a pancake. And then it was a gentle downhill. So it was real easy. And that's part of why, if you look at my splits, uh, I started off probably a little quicker than I should have. But the uphills weren't killing me. And I was able to just cruise right down those downhills. So in my mind, I started thinking, and I know that this is where I screwed up the race. And we'll probably get to that in a few minutes. Um, Sort of banking time knowing that there would be more hills coming later and take it the easy ones while I could. Gotcha. So that in the hills were, or excuse me, the bridges were all at the beginning, right? Yeah. You cross. So within about a mile, you cross from Missouri into Illinois, run through scenic, uh, East St. Louis, and then you cross another bridge back into Missouri. Gotcha. And, and, uh, any wind on the course? Yes, but honestly, I didn't notice it. Um, oh, a couple of the guys for you. <laughs> well, a couple of the guys that I ran with were afterwards they were complaining about how much wind there was. But I really, thinking back, don't remember very much of that. Well, and I found too there's a correlation. The weather is always a little better when you have a better race. So not sure what kind of race they had, but maybe yeah. They let's just say you're you're probably dead on with that one. Yeah, that's always how it works. All right, so the first couple were um, not too bad. And then how was the the rest of the race, the rest of the course? So it rolled pretty well the entire time. 
as the half split off, we kind of went into a, a quick little downhill and then right back up. Um, you sort of meander away from the downtown area and into a park. And the park had a decent bit of roll to it. Uh, around mile 19 or so, there was another big hill, which was just at exactly the wrong spot for me. Um, mm-hmm. So I joke to someone running near me that you know we should go find the guy who built that hill on top or the put the wall on top of the hill (laughs) and it made it for you know a tough day but it's it's part of the race you know so so overall st louis pretty honest course rolling and you you mentioned you were probably a little fast out of the gate so what'd you end up hitting the first half in uh it was about 125 at the half just okay. just over 125. Okay, so I so was you... on pace for about a 250, which would have been close to my PR. Gotcha. So would you say then was the second half, I mean, did you give back time through the course or was it just truly you gave back time because you spent too much in the first half? So it was a little bit of both. If you look at my splits, you can definitely see around mile... 11 or 12, I started giving up seconds. Um, And I I was keeping pretty good pace until around mile 20. And it was really over those last five miles that I took a pounding, which I think a lot of that was caused by a combination of the late hills and the effort that I put in early on. So though I am very happy with my time and I did surpass my goal considerably, I know that I didn't do the race efficiently, but I'm again. I'm I'm very happy with it. So, if you would have paced a little bit more evenly, how much how much time do you think you could have got back? It's tough to say because you don't know with those late hills how how much more energy would you really have had when you get to some of those big hills where you're just you know click 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 on your way up that hill. Um, you know, I think possibly a minute, maybe two minutes. I mean, I I wouldn't have expected a negative split even if I had um, really you know held off on the front end. Like I said, the uphills were gentle early on and really didn't take seem to take much out of me, and I was really exploiting those downhills. Gotcha. Your quad sore this were the your quad sore today then or yeah, were you so feeling it most? I was stiffening up a bit yesterday, so we had about a five-hour car ride back. And that always was, helps. <laughs> yeah, about as fun as it sounds. Uh, this morning, my calves are pretty knotted up. My right leg is a lot worse than my left, but I can feel it in both quads. My right hamstring is a little tender. But you know, I woke up this morning, went through my normal stretching routine, rolled a little bit, which was excruciating. But you know, it's it's all part of part of the fun and games it's nice because it lets you know you're alive that's for sure and what did you end up racing in what shoes uh so i have a pair of mizuno wave ronin 2 that i wear Uh, i've worn them for a couple of years now they i really only race in them and uh, they're primarily my marathon shoe and that's about it and you train in the asics though right yeah i train in uh more uh pronation control which is the asics ds trainers and i've been training in those for years so it's really just to go to a a lighter shoe that 
in my eyes, seems to have a bit more stability than a lot of the racing flats. So it, 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 I think it's a great shoe for the longer distance racing. Gotcha. And in terms of nutrition and fueling, you feel like, how'd you feel like you did there? Uh, Another point (laughs) where, where I think things could have been different. Um, we went and had pasta the night before the race. And as soon as I got back to the room, I was starving. So I probably should have eaten a little bit more for dinner. Uh, I am not sure how that played out the next day. Uh, so, so wait, so how does this work then? So what did, what exactly take us through your meal there? What did you, you had a, would you have a salad and that's it or? <laughs> no, I just had pasta. I'm a firm believer in, you know, plain and consistent as possible. So I ordered spaghetti with no meat, uh, just regular marinara. Uh, and then I ate bread and that was really it. And then I had a Sprite and a glass of water. Ooh, don't go, you're crazy there with the Sprite. I know. I, I, I need a little kick of sugar, you know, <laughs> and then the water to, I was joking and saying I was, I had to cut my Sprite, but you should have, um, should have filled up on the breadsticks. That's what they rely on that you're going to have like two dozen of those. And well, so I, man, it's like, I'm going to start plugging restaurants. Now I do normally go before every race, try to find an olive garden. Uh, but it wasn't quite as convenient this time around, especially well, where well, it was somebody well, else's vehicle. Wait so. a second. Wait a second. Back back up the truck here. So you didn't go to the Olive Garden? No. No, I didn't. We and, found a little Italian place right across from the hotel. Okay. So I've asked you about the pacing. I've asked you about what. how much time did you leave on the table by not going to the Olive Garden? A good 20 or 30 minutes, I'm I'm guessing, you know. So maybe, so you're looking... You know, I'm not pushing the American record, but... (laughs) Still a solid performance. Yeah, I mean, probably, you know, Olympic qualifier pace, (laughs) but... So you got back to to your room and you felt like you were hungry. Did Did you have anything to eat at that point or no? No, it was late enough that I didn't want to, you know have anything else that was really going to mess with my sleep or, you know, make me not be able to fall asleep? No, no, I'm not you. And I was at home and that's a whole other story. But I think if I would have been there, what I would have gone is like a B6, like Nestle Crunch from the vending machine. (laughs) Nice. No, I I did not do that. But you will be impressed with my breakfast when we get there. All right, let's skip ahead. Let's go. Breakfast time. Jumping right to it. So uh, my plan, again, got messed up. Planning on going and grabbing a bagel from a local Panera or, you know, someplace where you can just pick up a bagel. Uh, But things didn't work out quite right. And the place that I found was closed by the time we were done with dinner. And so all I had with me was the stuff that I brought from home, which I brought some juice and some Gatorade and a package of Pop-Tarts. All right now you got my attention this is frosted or unfrosted the pop frosted tarts. strawberry frosted oh yes solid solid okay so you went double pop tart there no single pop tart wait single pop tart single you so left the I other get, one i get nerves in the morning i get very tense and i have trouble eating so i 
had them both out and ready to go, hoping that I could get them both down, but I just had the one. Mm. And again, let me point out for everyone listening that I do not personally approve of this as your race morning breakfast, but I was working with what I had brought. So do you still have the other Pop-Tart or no? No, I had left it out on the table when I ran, and then I figured it's probably not in the best condition for eating. No, man. But I also did put down a bagel, or not a bagel, a banana before the race. So Pop-Tart, how long before the race do you try to eat then? Usually about an hour. Oh, so you're pretty tight there. Yeah. Um, Interesting. It was was about an hour. And I ate, and then I actually took a shower, which I know that there's people are torn on that. I like it because I feel a little more awake and ready to go. And so I I try to eat and then jump in the shower real quick just so that the food has a chance to digest a little bit. And then... Yeah. I'm with you on the shower thing. I definitely like... uh, I like doing the shower, but... And you don't do a shakeout or any kind of easy run before that then, right? So when we... A bunch of us had been staying at the hotel together, and we all met in the lobby. And then we were about four blocks from the start line. So a couple of us actually just jogged from the hotel to the start line. But that was really the only shakeout we did. Okay, so after, so you got there, get to the line then. Good. How was it? Was it pretty easy then, the start with the number of participants? Yeah, it was actually pretty well organized. We had walked out there after dinner the night before just so we'd have an idea of exactly where the start line was and where gear check was going to be. We got there probably a half hour before the start of the race, checked our bags, and got right into the corral. Uh, We were going to stop at the restrooms, but the lines were unbelievable. They actually had one line for all of the... Uh, porta potties on one side so everyone was waiting and then watching it was real weird so you couldn't Mm. tell approximately how long it was going to take to get through uh so i just bit my lip and got in the corral i I figured at that point it was really more nerves than actually having to use the restroom gotcha and you were safe on the course then no pit stops yeah none at all so it really must have been the nerves (laughs) That's good. So overall, race organization, what'd you think? It was it was pretty well done. They everything was organized. Um, the corrals were split up by police tape, and that was about it. So you could really get in any corral and work your way forward if you really wanted to. Um, I was in corral A. We got in corral C, and uh, from corral B to corral A, there was someone who asked to see our bibs. But, uh, you know, going from C to B, nobody could have cared less. So personally, I'm a, I am I like when it's a little bit tighter than that because people who shouldn't be up in the front will often go up to the front, which clogs things or, you know, it, it can be risky for both them and the people who are supposed to be there just based on pacing. You know, if someone is slower and they wanted to be up front for the start of the race, they could get trampled or you could trip over them. I've seen that happen in some 5Ks where people are up in the front and people get hurt. So I'd like to see that a little bit tighter. But all of the uh, water stations were well manned. They had plenty of people with water and Gatorade, both sides of the road. Um, the They had goose stations throughout the course, a couple of points. They had some interesting things things the the race was clearly 
more for the half marathon than the full. There were about 2,000 people, we figured, doing the full and about 12,000 doing the half. Oh, wow. That's really skewed. Yeah. So they do this race within a race, they call it, and it's the bridge challenge. And so this is up front, those two bridges we talked about when you go into Illinois and come out of Illinois. There is a race from the time you get to the first bridge to the time you get off of the second bridge. And the winner of that wins an extra medal and a candy bar from a local chocolate company. Wow, they're all in for this, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Can they spare it? Wow. Um, Additionally, they had a chocolate um, station at mile 11 where they had people handing out. I I didn't see what exactly they were giving out, but they had some little white packet or something that they were handing out to people as they were going by. So you could have had chocolate at mile 11. Interesting. But obviously in a in a marathon that might not be, if you're going for a specific time goal, not the best time to be munching on a piece of chocolate. Yeah, and it seems pretty early. And, you know, you always, you've seen some novelty types of things in races, but that's pretty early to be trying something like that. Yeah, and again, for the for the half marathoners, they're almost done. So it's not that big of a deal for them. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, they want to be able to, Grab the halves. Okay. I'm thinking about the those poor 2,000 folks who are thinking about taking chocolate at 11. As much as I am um, a fan of chocolate, I think I would have to pass yet yeah, my 11 there. All right. Any other thoughts about the race? Uh, not much off the top of my head. I mean, it, again, it, I, I, I'm very happy with the outcome. I didn't do it perfectly, but when no race will you ever do it perfectly there's always something you can second guess whether it's the dinner the night before the breakfast the morning of the um, one pop tart exactly now you know that'll be my my breakfast of choice going forward for every race soon you'll be down to a half pop tart (laughs) let's not get carried away (laughs) um the so the other thing that i i don't think i did correctly and this has always been one of my problems um, again, I get nerves, and it, even when I'm racing, I get nerves in the middle of the race, and I have trouble eating. So for me, nutrition is always tough during the race. So I, I'm a fan of those little chews. The Personally, I use the Honey Stinger little gummy chew things, and I take two of them every two miles. And the point of it is just for me, that ends up being, I think it's about 50 calories every two miles. Um, and my problem is I know later in the race, I will not be able to get them down. And it's true whether I do goo, whether I do, you know, whatever it is, I have that same problem. So I ended up taking nine of them total. And after the halfway point, I did not have any more nutrition aside from water and Gatorade. And I did try and kick up the Gatorade a little bit in the second half, just consuming a little bit more. Normally in a water stop, I'll take one or two sips and that's it. Mm-hmm. But I tried to take three or four just to make sure I was getting some more electrolytes in, knowing that I was going to be running out of calories there at some point. Um, but I probably could have done a little bit better in that aspect. And that may have actually helped me quite a bit over those last five miles where it was really, you know, the hills were taking their toll and just pounding that pavement, you know, beat me up a bit. And I finished the race quite hungry and, you know, Again, there's there's no perfect race, and you can always second-guess everything you did. 
Yeah, and that's certainly something that you can work on in training, right? And it's a not a super hard thing to simulate, so um, something you can focus on. So looking ahead, so it sounds like right now you're taking some time off. Yeah, so I have a customary two weeks off where I will do zero running, um, no shakeouts, nothing. Maybe I'll get on the treadmill and walk, or I may get on an exercise bike. This is also a time where I try and focus on whether it's you know doing a little upper body workout or a little core workout, just so that I'm staying active. I'm just not using my legs as much. This time around, I may do a little bit in the way of squats just to help with the um, tear in my hip, just to you know strengthen some of the muscles in that area. Gotcha. Yeah, if you need any uh, advice or a routine for upper body, let me know. I can I can send you mine over. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I'll definitely be looking for your assistance there, especially on the uh, bench. <laughs> yeah, if you want to break sixty pounds on the bench, I've got I've got the program for you. All right, so a little two week little two week layoff, then get back at it. Um, longer term, I guess, medium long term for the year. Anything else targeting? So I am looking at the Portland Marathon, which is early October. Okay. So I'd probably be looking to come back from this two weeks off, build a bit of a base, and it would probably be about a month or two before I'd really start training for that specifically. Be, but I'd still be doing some speed work on the shorter distance. And, you know, I, I'd want to be running my long runs probably somewhere around 10 to 13 miles mm-hmm. um, just to, to get that base and be ready for when the actual training comes. And then I'm, I'll always pick up a 5K here and there. Always try and race on the 4th of July, whether it's a 4 on the 4th or a, you know, a 5K. Um, we'll see where it goes from there. Well, I mean, the fact you're, you know, you hit your, you beat your A goal, I should say. You hit your A goal and beyond, and uh, you're feeling pretty good. That's setting you up pretty well there for rest of the year. That's awesome. Yeah, and you know that's all you can do is get yourself in good shape and get to the line and see where it goes from there. Yeah, I agree. All right, should we uh, talk some Boston here, Brian? Yeah, let's do it. We'll be back after this. The Boston Marathon, the dream of almost every marathoner. Nothing can compare to your first experience there, from qualifying to training, the expo to the race itself. It's an event with a history and an energy like no other. Today we're joined by Nate Brown, who will be running his first Boston Marathon this weekend. Hey Nate, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing great. And with me as always is my co-host, Joe. Thanks for joining us, Nate. Thanks for having me. So let's get right into this. So give me a little bit of your history. When did you start running? Well, I started running actually very young. My brother signed up for like a city kids track meet, and I just tagged along. And uh, then I ran all the way through high school and a little bit in college, too. So when you ran in high school and college, what type of running were you doing, track or cross country? I did um, I did the, I was a mid-distance runner, so the 800 and 1500 in college, 800 in the mile in high school. Uh, but I played football in high school. We didn't have a cross-country team when I went there. So uh, I didn't run any cross-country until college, and I hated it and didn't like it at all. So. so how did you go from 
the shorter distance like that, and I use the term shorter loosely, uh, but from those shorter distances, getting into marathoning. Well, it's actually funny. I stopped running um, in my late 20s altogether and then picked picked it back up right as I, right around the time I turned 30 just for the sole purpose of trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Wow. So what what made you want to do the Boston Marathon? It was actually a goal I had as a kid, and then after I stopped running, um, I kind of kicked around some other ideas and uh, about that. You know, I, I tried to play arena football and some stuff like that and just didn't work out, so came back to running and have been chasing the Boston Marathon ever since. That's quite an interesting story. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous, actually, but <laughs> uh, it worked out. It all worked out for the good for the good of everything. So I'll take it. Nate, when you picked up running then at thirty, what kind of shape were you in at that point? Um, I round? No, I was. Uh, <laughs> I, I looked like every every guy who spent the late part of his twenties working in a bar. I was a little overweight. Um, at the time, I, I chewed tobacco, um, so and I, I didn't eat very healthy. I, you know, I worked till three a.m. almost all the time. So I was just I was in I was in the worst. Not the worst possible shape, but I was I was not in great shape. Let's just say that. Not the poster child for the Boston Marathon, huh? Not even. I don't even think I would be on the poster for try. Don't try this at home for the Boston Marathon. How did you get yourself ready when you decided it was time to try to make a run for it? Well, I had always I I've, I've always really enjoyed running hard, so I, I just got back into some local five Ks. And uh, the weight started coming off, and um, I tried a marathon and ran uh, over four hours, and that really kick-started. I, I, I reached out to a guy, uh, a gentleman who had coached me before, and uh, he sent me some workouts that helped me get back into shape. And uh, took about it took about a year of after that first marathon to actually, you know, build a base and then work into actual marathon training up to the time of running my my bo- my Boston qualifier. That that's quite quite an improvement in a short amount of time. I, I, I you know I don't want to make light of it. I I had been a runner by the majority of my life, so I knew how to train. That was the the thing was I just wasn't training. Um, I knew I knew how to train. I was lucky that I had a, a program from a coach and. So, I mean, that became, that just became the kind of, the kind of, I kind of obsessed about it really for that, for that qualifier. It became like a complete goal. I lost, I lost 21 pounds. Um, <laughs> I, I really obsessed about qualifying for Boston. So was that your second marathon ever? Yes. Uh, I ran, yes. Uh, it was my second marathon ever that I qualified for Boston. Nice. And what marathon was that? It's the A1, the Fort Lauderdale A1A marathon. I actually got really lucky. It ended up being right at 60 degrees uh, after I'd been training for two months in 70 degree weather, 75, 80 degree weather. Uh, it actually was a pretty perfect, ideal time for, for, to, and it's flat because it's Florida. So it really helped. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how something that you can't control, like the weather, really can benefit you, especially in that circumstance. Going from training in, in heat to a perfect mild day can really make a difference in your performance. I, you know, I did, uh, I did a marathon-paced workout maybe two weeks, about, yeah, about two weeks out, and I, I was struggling through it. 
and then it seems so easy, uh, or relatively easy compared to that workout on the day of the race, just simply because it was 15 to 20 degrees cooler. And it was unbelievable. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about Boston. So since you're qualifier, how has your training been going for Boston? Uh, you know what has gone actually unbelievably? I, I switched coaches uh, only because the, the guy who had coached me for the first one didn't want to coach anymore. He was, he was retired already and, and just helped me out. So I switched coaches, and he has really uh, – my, my current coach, Coach Kyle, has really turned me into a machine, I think. Like, in, in, as, as any amateur, you know, Boston – like, with the Boston qualifying goal, like, I just feel like the training has gone – it couldn't have gone better. Nate, take us a little bit deeper into your training. I mean, just give us uh, kind of the highlights of your training so far. Well, I think that I think the two the two standout workouts for me were um, my two eighteen milers that I did at ninety percent marathon pace and ninety five percent marathon pace. I did one since I live in a, a relatively flat part of the country. I went up north to where my dad lives, North Florida, where there's some more rolling hills. And I did that one in the hills, and that was a real confidence booster. It was a little early in marathon training, and I, I got the paces, and I felt good in the hills, so that was great. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I did almost the same workout uh, down here in the flat part of where I live. And again, it was just you know it was just an absolute confidence booster to be able to hit those hit those paces and and uh, get through the workout without feeling completely spent. I I have to say. Uh, but, I, I, Oh, sorry about that. I was going to say, I have to uh, comment. I, I love that workout you described, that you know, 16, 18-miler, 90, 95% of marathon pace. I think that is that is a really good, not only fitness boost, but you hit it, confidence booster as well. I, you know, especially for a guy, I, I, I mean, I have to be honest, I'm a, I'm a little bit bigger for a marathoner. Um, uh, and also, I'm not... I, I'm not a great long runner, and I'll be the first to admit that. So to be able to hit my paces on those particular workouts, that's it's really big for me because you know uh, shorter shorter mile repeats and everything. I'm a, I'm a little better there than I am sustaining pace over a long period of time. Gotcha. And being a bigger runner, are there any other adjustments that you've had to make? Um. Well, I think that, uh, again, you know, I tackled, I, I got, I was able to lose a little more weight. I still weigh right around 175 pounds, uh, I weighed, um, 180. I think the biggest thing for me is learning how to run efficiently and to, to not, to, to be able to manage my weight. I think that that was the biggest thing for me to, to, is to attack my weight and really focus on, you know, my, my coach always says smart food choices and portion control. So I noticed uh, from your website, you are a minimalist runner. How does that play into, you know, the, as you're losing this weight or as a heavier, you know, marathoner, how do you figure that into your training? Was there anything you had to do to transition to the minimalist shoes? Well, you know, I wore, um, I wore stability shoes for my first marathon and was never comfortable. And before that I had always, you know, raced in, you know, cross country flats and things like that. And then I saw on a, on a, on a Facebook running page somewhere about the score issues. And I, I went out and, and got a couple of pair and I was sold. I think that 
I think that personally running in, in, in the score phase, which is the, the, the brand, the, the shoe I run in, I think that it just really gives you that great ground feel. You can kind of feel where your feet are touching the ground and you personally, like the shoes, your, your shoes are what they are and they're not going to fix your form, but you can personally feel where your feet are hitting the ground and kind of adjust that to where you're not making any too many, too many biomechanic, bio, biomechanic mistakes. So do you really feel that that has improved your form? I believe that I believe that it's made me more aware of the problems that I had. Yes. I, I, I don't want to sit here and say that shoes are the magic fix for, for biomechanics problems, but for me, it helps me be more because of the ground feel, especially in the phase. I'm more aware of how my feet are coming in contact with the ground. Gotcha. Yeah. I just, I know that shoes are always a hot topic among runners. So I always like to hear different points of view on it. So thanks for that. I, I, I am sold on, on minimalist shoes. I know people tried and don't like them. I am a hundred percent sold. I, I transition and I started transitioning into them as a runner that weighed 200 pounds. So, I mean, I, I, I think they're great. Sure. I guess uh, getting back to Boston, um, so do you have a goal that you're shooting for in Boston or is it just really to be there and be part of the event? Well, we've been, we've been focusing, the focus of our training has been about a 240, 248 pace. So sub 250 is really what I would like. Um, I, I think that, I think that I'm there, uh, physical shape wise. Now, you know, it's just on the need to run, run the right race because uh, the heels are late and I'm a flatlander. So it's up to me to really control my pace early. And I think, I, but I think we're there. I think we're, I think I'm in sub 250 shape. Take us through the plan. I, I know so many people go into Boston with, with the best of plans, but, um, and Brian alluded to this a little bit in, in the intro. I mean, there's, there's such an electricity and an excitement and it's, it's all the, the buildup. And then when you're there on the starting line, the helicopters, everything else going on, it can be, a little difficult to uh, to get out of the gate there, but take us through your plan, kind of the the first half and second half, what you're looking to do. Well, uh, I my biggest thing for me personally is controlling what I do in the first ten miles. I'm a very excitable guy. I'll be the first to admit I do go I go out too fast. Um, I do all the things that I coach runners not to do. Um, so I get I get caught up in competition and the excitement of the moment. So for me personally at Boston is to control what I do for the, through the first 10 to miles to half to the halfway point to make sure that I have enough to race the last 10 K. So I really, I would really like to go out at a, at a good steady pace, hold that through the first half and then see what I can maintain through the Hills and then attack the last five miles into Boston seems to be what I, that's what I have played out in my head. Now we'll never know what happens when I get there. Yeah, so are you going to use GPS or go by feel? How are you going to kind of gauge yourself? I will be wearing a GPS watch. Um, I'm going to hopefully use it to slow myself down early because uh, I do most of my uh, I do most of everything by feel. Coach has me do it by perceived uh, perceived effort. So, uh, but with the Boston Marathon being such a big, like I'm going to be so high on adrenaline, I'd really like to have the GPS to hold me back in the first few miles because, you know, you never know. You go out at a pace that feels like what you're supposed to run the marathon at and you're way below what you're at half marathon pace just because you're hyped up. So that, that, I, would, I will have a GPS watch on, yeah. 
And that, that's actually a great point. Um, and it's something that I have issues with myself is when that gun goes off, especially in Boston, it's, you know, three miles downhill. And it's real easy to get caught up in everyone else who is caught up in the emotion. And like you said, next thing you know, you're at half marathon pace or faster. Uh, I actually ran it in uh, 2012, which was the hot year. Uh, and it was just yeah. unusually hot. And I told myself ahead of time, I'm going to go slow. I'm going to take it easy. And then I glanced down at my watch and, you know, you're you're looking at six, six and a half minutes a Per mile and you're just like whoa <laughs> maybe this isn't you know maybe i'm not running as slow as i think i am so it's definitely something to keep Absolutely. an eye on and that, that's one of the things that i did on top of you know on top of um of, of training smart and, and doing everything that uh my coach prescribed what i did here locally is i i hooked up to everybody i could find at the local running club that have run boston once or more times just to give me kind of a feel mostly because I'm a real competitive guy and I always want to feel totally prepared when I go into something whether or not I'm going to be competing to win or just competing with myself so I, I really picked the brain of a lot of local guys who run Boston I got a lot of great tips um, so that was that was one of the coolest things about about sitting down with some local guys and that's the first thing they tell me first three miles is downhill you like to go out fast because they, they you know they race me year round so you like to go out fast, probably your best bet to hold way back in the first three miles. So that that was really cool, too. It's great to be able to pick people's brains who've been there. So looking ahead, is there anything in particular you're kind of looking forward to most? Uh, finish line beers? No. Uh, <laughs> I, think that, I think that one of the things I'm really looking forward to is everybody describes the view, that you get the view of Boston, Riders do come over what they call heartbreak hill at, at mile 20. We, I tried to avoid calling it that throughout the whole training process, but through that last hill there, they say you get to actually see your first look at Boston. I think that I think that something in my brain is just pushing me toward that. I want to see. I want to cross that hill because then you kind of feel like. Um, you know, you read a lot about the professionals say that's when the race is on, is that when you crest that last hill. So I feel like that's what I'm trying to push toward. I want to see, I want to crest that hill. Yeah, it's a, be- it's a beautiful sight. So I, I got to ask you as well, have you, have you practiced that uh, right onto uh, Hereford and left onto Boylston and kind of imagined the, I have. the finish? Okay, everybody I, does uh, it. I, yeah, I was I was wondering if I was the only one. There's actually if you turn if you, when you come onto my uh, to my street coming home at the end of every run, I usually there's a right and then a left that brings you right back to my house. So I usually take that right and then that left and pretend that that's that's the closing steps of Boston. There, I I um I'm, I'm a big individualization or I'm just a coop, one of the two. That's great. <laughs> I, I think we're all right there with you, and I'll, I'll tell you that final turn when you can see that finish line and you see the people just you know stacked up it it's a feeling like no other and you will enjoy it for the rest of your life so i i i can't wait i'm really excited so do you have any tips for other runners who are still maybe trying to get their qualifier I the the, the 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 three biggest ones I have is hire a coach or get a plan. That's the most important thing. Um, there's there's great coaches both virtually and locally all over the place, and also there's great plans online if you if you're just willing if you if you're able to motivate yourself. 
that's 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 the number one most important. Um, and I I said to myself when I was trying to qualify, don't make it a do or die situation. Always always give yourself some wiggle room so that if you don't qualify for whatever reason, like the, the, the weather was out of your hands or you just didn't feel good that day, don't make it like I have to do it now or never. Um, so those are, those are two of the biggest ones. And then the, the third one is always make sure you, you get a plan and stick to the plan on race day. Um, I almost blew my Boston Marathon qualifying by running the middle of the race like I had no idea what I was doing. And I, um, I mean, I was able to salvage it, but I really fell apart near the end. So stick to the race day plan for the qualifying race. That's some really great advice. So um, with that, I, I think that's about all I have. Do you have anything else, Joe? No, this is terrific. I can't wait to uh, follow you and uh, see how everything goes. So Nate, hey, if, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. So, if people want to follow you, how can they follow you on Twitter? Um, you can follow um, my running team at Beast Mode Running. There's no G; it's just Beast Mode Running. They don't have enough letters there, so you can just follow me at Beast Mode Running, um, and that, that'll kind of keep you up to date with everything that's going on. <clears throat> Great. Well, thanks for talking with us today, and you know we'd love to follow up with you after the race. So best of luck. I look forward to it. Best of luck and run strong, Nate. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, guys. Well, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. Joe is at McRunner26, and I'm at RunGooseRun. Until next week, keep your shoes tied and your feet moving. Want more info on the podcast? Head over to MilesNotIncluded.com. Are you on Twitter? We are too. Find us at MNI Podcast. Any questions, comments, or even like to be a guest on the show, hit us up at podcast at milesnotincluded.com. Music